One of the many enemies of our modern culture is patriarchy. I found there's a debate inside the church on whether or not we should use that term. I want to talk about that and a war on the concept of childhood. We'll do that and a whole lot more on this week's Corey Truax Show. You can probably call it a phase. I'm in one of my phases where I pick up a new, uh, let's go with personality or set of ideas to really look deeply into, and I'm in that phase right now. I want to tell you about one of the uh, the, the concepts I've come out that have come out of it. I've, I've gone through this. I went through the Alex Jones phase, where for about six months I listened to him rattle on about conspiracies and how the Bilderbergers and the Masons and uh, behind the scenes are running everything. I went through a good year of reading everything at sojo.net, where you have folks who are just considered that, excuse me, that are just convinced God's a, absolutely a liberal Democrat in America. He doesn't have any other sensibilities of things going around the world. He's a liberal Democrat in America. Uh, I've been through my time of, I took six months to watch episodes of Rachel Maddow on MSNBC, and I'll do it with other personalities and people that I find interesting. I, I had a long time thing with Glenn Beck, and I, I go down these these rabbit holes to try to learn new things. And as I started learning more about the concept of theonomy that I told you about, this, this idea maybe that governments should institute God's law, that's a little bit of a too simplistic summation, I run more into personalities like Doug Wilson and listening more to James White and then the people that are connected to them and going further down that YouTube hole and these blogs. And I found a disagreement that I have there that I want to wrestle through and try to find something productive. And it has to do with the roles of men, women, and the terms we use. We'll start there in just a moment. Welcome to the Corey Truax Show. I've been talking for two minutes and I forgot to tell you what you're listening to. It's called Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. Amongst many other things, I get to serve the awesome people of Beachwood Church as their pastor for teaching at 1030 on Sunday mornings in Greenville. You are invited if you are without a church home. This coming Sunday, I will not be there. The final Sunday of July, I will be at Cornerstone Fellowship up in Waynesville, North Carolina, preaching on I don't know what. I tell you, that's, that's one of the hard things. I love the safety of a series where we're just going to go through a book of the Bible, and I don't have to think about what to talk about. We're just going to go through the next paragraph or the next few paragraphs, and just we're going to preach the book. That's what we do. And I got that very scary email from me which is, oh, we're actually out of the Gospel of Mark series now. You can just preach whatever the Lord lays on your heart, which is fine. There's nothing wrong. It just makes me go, oh, no, but my heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's Jeremiah 33, 3, by the way. And for real, there's a pressure then for me that goes, all right, don't try to be too clever. Don't try to don't try to cutesify it, and also don't be lazy. Don't go grab a sermon you preached in 2016 out of your files and just kind of read over it and go do it. I'm not going to do any of that. But anyway, I'll be up at Cornerstone Fellowship in Waynesville if you're in the area this Sunday. All right, here's where we, where we want to begin. For decades now, most folks like me in the Reformed theology circles, there's, there's a lot more to being Reformed to being, excuse me, than just being a Calvinist, but there's tends to be where we, we start. But one of the things we would say about ourselves, mostly, is we are complementarian when it comes to how we think about gender roles. And that is that 
men in the church and in the home, we lead. That's our job. Let's call it a joyful burden. Where it's it's joy because the Lord laid it on us, and it is burden because it's hard work. It's hard work to lead. Sometimes you got to make hard decisions that you know your bride, your kids are not going to like, and you don't make those decisions in a vacuum. You obviously, uh, I, I love the way that Tim Keller talks about this with his wife Kathy. That and they're almost fifty over fifty years of marriage now. So there's probably been nine or ten times where they really differed on a decision and a decision had to get made and he made the call that he thought was right for his family. So it's, it's rare that you, just ha- that you have to just straight up make decisions not in, of, not in, ag- not in agreement, but not just in decision-making, but in actually leading, thinking ahead. Where do we want to be financially? How, it, how are my wife and kids doing in their... Uh, their spiritual development. What strategies can I take responsibility for? Not them. What can I do to disciple them? And that's, again, I, I call it a joyful burden, but that's work, and it's it's a good thing the Lord has given men to do. Men, go lead. Your churches, your homes. And ladies, lead, lead your kids. Be the that help meet, that good partner to your husband as you lead a household together that God is first placed him in position and responsibility. And I hope you hear me saying, this is not this is not me saying, and, and the men are in charge. I'm saying, hey men, listen, you're in charge. You better take that with some gravity, man. There are souls at stake. At stake. I'm not saying, hey men, you got, a, you got this privilege. You have a responsibility. It's heavy. And you better, better focus on it. Give it some effort. Develop yourself, D- develop your own spiritual walk because you got people to lead. All right, this is that uh, that great phrase from that general. I think Malcolm Gladwell wrote the book called "Leaders Eat Last," and the concept being if you're leading a team, you're leading a family, you make sure everybody has what they need, and then you can worry about you. Make sure when you're leading, your your people eat first. That that concept, and so. That's complementarity in that men you lead, ladies you you fill your you fill your role, but they are distinct. Men do some things, women do other things. None of them are higher in honor; they're just distinct in role. The things that women do are if high honor, as high honor as men, and they're just different than what men do. I I actually think I should talk about that now. Like when I, I say men have the things they do and women have things they do. I feel like what this culture says to women in large part is you haven't really been realized as a person until you become a man. The thing that will make you a real woman is you being the CEO, you being the boss, you being in charge, you having authority, you being president or senator or something. The things that we have associated with authority and power that we have associated with men, that ladies, until you achieve what men have achieved, then you'll become a real lady. So, being a real woman just means being a man and achieving what men achieve? We don't believe that as complementarians. We believe that uh, there's different appetites and aptitudes in both sexes, and being a fully realized woman will not look like what it means to be a fully realized man. So men, I say, we, we, go, we go out, we tackle, we lead. We're, we're self-sacrificial. We, we love our wives, families, like Christ loved the church, we 
we, I'll just leave it. I'll leave it at those turd. Those two words. We lead sacrificially. Ladies, do you know what role you have historically played in society for men in, in that in that way? Your presence, men know this. They're listening. Your presence civilizes men. I, I haven't been. I haven't had to be super exposed to this in my life. But I've had to be exposed to it in some in some settings, mostly athletic settings, maybe some some business settings, where you, you realize, especially the unredeemed man, savages. Men are savages. They're gross, disgusting. The things they say, the their, their behavior. They're a brute, right? We're a brutish. We are the brutish sex. Men are gross, and it is for the desire to be with women that men act civilized, learn to read, get skills, learn some social skills, how to have a conversation. What is a a woman's role on the earth? There's a lot of them, but one of them is you civilize men. We stop beating each other with clubs because of you, all right? There is the provision women have in in this world, like uh, distinct from men. We, We are totally, largely men, we are super functional, in a world we build will be often functional, but not often beautiful. Now, we've had some of the great architects and painters have been men. Some of the great designers have been men. Women are so much better at it. I've noticed that in putting together the house that I bought. Every decision I made as a single man was utilitarian and functional. And the decision my soon-to-be wife makes are are well-balanced with my interests. So I'll balance her out with utilitarian functionality, and she balances me out by creating incredible environments. I, I love living right now in a space where she has created something, and it's, it's fun. It's a cool environment. Women are so good at care for one another, so much better at ma- making connections. The, even just the play patterns of boys and girls, boys will play more often alone and be okay with it. The girls are so much better when they're young at connecting to other girls. And then boys often will see that, and maybe we connect differently because we'll start wrestling with each other, but, and girls will start talking. But that's a good thing women do. They create beauty and environments, thoughtfulness, tenderness. Men are hard, and sometimes the world needs that, and sometimes the world needs some tenderness. The, these are... This is the beauty of complementarity, that we do need both. And they are different, but they're so distinct in their roles. So I went way too long on all that. But here's what I found on the maybe the edges of some of these new guys I'm listening to and reading. They seem to not like complementarity or complementarianism as the word, and they prefer the word patriarchy which in the literal sense means the father rules. They prefer the model of there is a man of the family. And when one of the the sons breaks off, starts his own house, he can be the man of his family. But the men make the decisions um, at, at the top of every family church. And I actually think some of these guys would spread that and say in governments and in businesses, if there's a man present, that man needs to be leading. That wasn't all of them, by the way. That was some of them. But for a lot of them that want to start using that word patriarchy, that say to people like me, you're, you're being mealy-mouthed. The Bible's patriarchal. Men lead. 
and just complimentarity thing is some kind of acquiescence to the world who wants you to say nice things about women. I think a lot of them, they want to use the term, the, the, the term patriarchy, really just to poke at people and be needlessly offensive, just n- because that word is that word is not bad by itself. Patriarchy is not bad. The idea that men need to lead, but it's come with so much baggage. It it means a lot of abuse. It means not the uh, oh uh, heard who did I hear say this? I think this was Kevin DeYoung or Tim Keller, one of the two. That patriarchy isn't about subjugating women. Patriarchy is about subjugating the worst instincts in men. So the worst instincts in men are to be overly aggressive, to seek out all of their gratification. And patriarchy says to men, no, you can't. You can't give in to all of your basis desires. You have to lead. You have to sacrifice. We need you to be better than your base instincts, to be the patriarch. And to be the patriarch, put down your basis desires and channel all that energy into being something good for your wife, for your family, for your neighborhood, for your church, for your country. That's real patriarchy. But I think they want to say, they want to say patriarchy just to poke. When I say they, I mean the new people I've been listening to. They just want to poke at a culture that hates that word. And I would, I want to argue back here, because it seems like this is becoming more of a public conversation. I want to defend the term complementarity and complementarianism. That it's not just men rule, it's that God made two distinct sexes, two genders, they are equal in honor and distinct in role. And I think I've already made my arguments there for why. Complementarity still accomplishes what the patriarchal people want to accomplish. It says, men, step up, lead, stop being lazy, stop not taking care of yourself, I'm going to say some things to men now, turn off your porn, Stop spending so much time on meaningless garbage and be men. Start thinking ahead. Get get out a notebook. You can even pause this right now. Get out a notebook. Chart it. Where do you want your family to be in 10 years? Where do you want your marriage to be in 10 years? Think about it emotionally, financially, spiritually. Where do you want to, what kind of money do you want to be, do you want to be making 10 years from now? Start, start planning your life and start working backwards. What do you want it to be 20 years from now? Lead and come up with tactics, strategies. Like we got a goal. All right. To get there, we're going to have to make these decisions. We might have to make these sacrifices and don't lord that power, but gently guide and say, here's where I want to go. I'm going to need this from you, and if you'll, if you'll follow me in this, it's going to be good for everybody. It, the difference between patriarchy and complementarianism is just simply that complementarianism actually then says something about women too, that there's high honor in God making women. And so uh, that's it. That's all I want to say. There's a group of people that want to start saying patriarchy for this, and I don't think it's productive. I think it's only hurtful because we don't need that word. That word, it's not a biblical word, as in I'm not, I'm not calling you a sinner for using it. I'm saying the Bible doesn't demand of us to use the word patriarchy. And so why would we needlessly use a word that upsets everybody and alienates people when we have a perfectly good word that talks about the beauty of God having two distinct sexes that he made and having equal honor in both? And that's not me being... So the word I've been using, that's not me being a squish. If there's a, a biblical word that we need to be using and the Bible says to use this word and, the, and it offends the culture, I'm going to use that word. Like, I, don't, I have moved out of the word affair. I don't say affairs anymore. 
that, that guy was having an affair. She was having an affair. I refuse to say it. They committed adultery. That's a made-up thing. Whatever an affair is, this culture made it up. I'm not saying it anymore. I'm using the biblical word. But patriarchy is not that. The, I, I recently, in a conversation, said, uh, <laughs> in a conversation with, with a bunch of men, we're under judgment, and I, th- I think it's partly because of all the, all the fornicating. And that's a biblical word, but like I, I want it to hit a little bit. Like the the world has decided that it's sleeping together or whatever. No, no, they're fornicating, okay? And I'm gonna say it. There are some biblical words, but patriarchy isn't one of them, and I'm not going to demand everyone say it. All right, I, I wanted to go 10 minutes on that. I almost went double. All right, I gotta take a break. When we come back, I wanna talk to you about a group of people that seem to be ready to just destroy the concept of childhood. We'll do that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Act show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. We have endless isms, right? Everyone likes to talk about sexism and racism and all the isms. There's a new one I read. You won't believe what it is. I'll talk to you about it in just a second. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show, wherever you find podcasts, and right here on his radio talk. Connect to me, Corey Truax at, uh, let's do email first, Corey Truax Show at gmail.com, Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for my weird name, Corey Truax. You will find me there. I was reading a story at lgbtqnation.com. And you say, Corey, why would you do such a thing? Because I like to seek out lots of different voices, right? I'm currently doing a deeper dive on people who are have an even, I think, more intense understanding of different parts of theology than I do. And I also like to, I like to get lots of different v- viewpoints on things. I saw a link to the story. I can't remember where. Uh, and I just had to read it because it said, Here's, here we go. Found it. Title was Opinion. Parental rights and education laws are a form of child abuse. And so this is an LGBTQ activist's... Um, uh, what was my new thing I was going to say on that? L-alphabet. That's what I'm saying. L-alphabet activists saying laws like in Florida, where we're saying for kindergarten to third grade, uh, d- don't talk to kids about transgenderism, sexuality. Uh, just, just leave them alone. They're kids. You should do that. This is... a. Uh, Someone saying that's a uh, that's child abuse. Now, about halfway through the uh, the story, I came to a new term. I'm going to read to you now. This is a it's a risk in audio. You don't like to be read to, but stick with me. Here we go. Several forms quote several forms of social oppression came together in these increasing number of laws. These parental rights and education laws, primarily. These are the social oppression forms. Primarily, heterosexism, cissexism, racism, and adultism. Huh. Now, most of these don't mean anything. Cissexism is not real. That doesn't exist because cis, the letters C-I-S, in front of male or female don't mean anything. You guys made that up like a year ago, and I'm never going to say it. It's heterosexism, so that means, I guess, preference for those who are heterosexual. Cissexism, those that are in their right minds and identify uh, and, and know that they're male or female and behave thusly. Racism, we know what that means. And then adultism. And helpfully, they gave an immediate definition. Here's what the 
Article says, Adultism is defined by John Bell as behaviors and attitudes based on the assumption that adults are better than young people and the adults are entitled to act upon young people without their agreement. Okay. Adults are not better than young people, but they know a lot more. So as a consequence, I know a lot more. I'm going to make decisions for my kids. I'm not going to let them choose what to eat. Sometimes I will. As, as they grow in maturity, we can grow in, in power. This is the Spider-Man principle. With great power comes great responsibility. Equally, with great responsibility comes power. So if you're showing me more responsibility, you get more freedom. They're not going to choose when to go to bed. They're not going to choose if they go to the doctor or the dentist. I'm making those choices. So to them, yeah, I'm an adultist because I think adults know more and on this topic know when it's appropriate to start telling children that if they don't feel at home in their body during puberty, then we might need to give them hormones and start cutting things off of them. Yes, I'm an adultist. I think an 11-year-old doesn't have the ability to know the consequences of what they might do when they're 30. I'm positive that an 11-year-old can't imagine what it's like to be even my age. Because when I was 11, I thought 36-year-olds were ancient. This is adultists now. We, we got to know that the children are apparently all-knowing. And we got to quit making decisions for children, including making decisions for children regarding long-life decisions, like transgenderism and things like that. And also, we, we don't know when it's best for them to learn about graphic sex acts. No, we just need to tell kids at any age, even in second, third grade, they need to be able to do that. So do you, you see what I'm saying when they have erased childhood? There aren't kids anymore. They're just adults. Now, they might be a six-year-old adult, but when it comes to issues at least of sexuality, they're an adult, and we need, we need to talk to them like it. Here's more from this article. One of the litmus tests by which a society can be judged is the way it treats its young people. For this opens a window projecting how that society operates generally. On that, we agree. When we protect our children, we show ourselves to be a better people than a people that would say to our six-year-olds, oh, you feel like a girl? You do, young? Uh, you do? Well, let's just go ahead and start cutting your, uh, your genitals off. Let's do that. Uh, back to the article. Within an adultist society, adults construct the rules with little or no input from the youth, for even the terminology our society employs to refer to youth betrays a hierarchical power dynamic. For example, we refer to young people as kids. That's a term applied that it typically applies to goats. By referring to youth as farm animals, it provides adults cover in controlling and maintaining power over humans. Yes. Yes, we do. And if you don't, mom and dad, if you don't control and maintain power over your kids, you're being a derelict parent. Don't let them go find their own worldview. Don't let them go out and make, the same way you don't go out and make, let them make nutritional choices or when they go to bed or educational choices for themselves, you don't let them go out and choose how they will interact with sexual information. No. To this person that says, we're an adultist society where the adults make the rules without the input of the kids. Yeah, that's true. The older they get, they might get some input. The older they get and start showing themselves responsible, sure, they might get an input on when that 
Friday night or Saturday night curfew is compared to their Thursday night curfew. Yeah, they might. But let's go all of the elementary years. They don't have any input. And you're, be- you're being derelict what the actual child abuse is. Is going to a kid and say, parent yourself. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how much you should sleep. I don't know what you should eat. I don't know if you should be watching this or not. You figure it out. That's child abuse. That you're demanding of kids to be adults and to parent themselves. Back to the article. Of course... Parents and other adults have inherent responsibility of protecting young people. Oh, look at that. Thanks for saying so. Uh, Protecting young people from harming themselves and being harmed by others. In Freudian terms, we must develop a balance between the individual's unrestrained drives and restraints. Uh, Excuse me. Let me read read that differently. In Freudian terms, we must develop a balance between the individual's unrestrained drives and restraints on these drives in the service in the service of maintaining civil society. Yes, that's exactly correct. I'm glad you say that. Now, include in the category of things that we restrict sexual information. Like we we don't need intense sexual information given to seven year olds. It's not a necessity. Almost finished here. Um, adultism, heterosexism, cissexism, racism, and all all other forms of oppression individually and in combination operate as a continuum for subtle to extreme, right? So she's sticking with the adult. Now adultism is in there with heterosexism, cissexism. Aren't you learning a lot about yourself? If you think parents should raise their kids and kids shouldn't parent themselves, you're an adultist. Final paragraph, at least that I'm going to read. Regarding adultism, this continuum includes adults ignoring or neglecting young people to statements like children should be seen and not heard or you're too young to do that. <laughs> Part of adultism is saying, you're too young to do that. Hey, author, what if they're too young to do that? You think that might be my job as a parent to tell them they're too young to do it? Or, uh, this is back to the article, also on the spectrum is things like when you're living in my house, you follow my rules. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the case. That's my job. And if I'm a good parent, my rules are for their good. The boundaries I place for them fall in pleasant places. It's one of my favorite psalms. David writes of the Lord, Your boundaries have fallen for me in pleasant places. The boundaries you put around sexuality, family, how I spend my money, what my priorities should be, what my church life is like. All those boundaries, they're so pleasant. If I follow those boundaries, my life goes better. And if we are good parents, we set the boundaries for our kids in pleasant places. But uh, as we finish up that insanity from this LGBTQ Nation article, that's what they're doing now. you got to let your kids parent themselves. Or more likely, they want you just out of the way so they can parent your kids. Okay, let's do, let's do this one. I have talked about this a ton lately. I won't, give me like five or six minutes on this one. I've talked a lot about separation of church and church and state, and how that doesn't necessarily mean the separation of God and state. But as I continue to read and listen to other voices, I think I've, I think I've come to some conclusions I want to share with you. One, the church is its own institution. And we, we are not called to, we should not want the commingling of, of the church as an institution 
with the government as the institution. So think back to, if you remember your Western Civ, most of Europe throughout the, oh man, the 300s all the way through like the 1700s, a lot of Europe was Roman Catholic run. So there was a king of England, but there was also the Pope. And there was a king of France, but there was also the Pope. And the church and the government were intertwined. They were the same thing. And so the church was doing government things. The government is given the sword to wage war, to punish the guilty, to do, to do this, to enforce the criminal and the civil law. It's not for us. It doesn't belong to the church. God created a realm of authority called the government that's supposed to do those things. And so we're not seeking something we don't want, and we need to be able to clarify right now, because in a secular world, that's one of the things being alleged. These people don't, uh, these people want to stop the separation of church and state. We need to say, oh, no, no, no. We want you to take the state stuff. Um, the, the state stuff of punishing evil, punishing crimes, waging wars, having a military. That's a you thing. It's not a church thing. And that does not then mean, while the, the church, so the, the church wants to do its in, endeavors, you guys, you the government, do your endeavors. But what we are endeavoring for as the church is to create a populace that has enough sway in a republic to elect a government that would institute God's standards. So it's not the, the church controlling the government. It's Christians organized well enough to go out into a, a, in a legitimate way, take power, and institute through the normal systems. I'm talking about passing bills, having enough in America that would be having 60 votes in the Senate, uh, being able to pass laws in, in, gov- in governor's mansions that institute the Lord's standards on everything. Finance, family, trade, criminal law. Yeah, we, we, want, we don't want the church to do it, but we are saying Christians should. So I want that distinction. I didn't even take five minutes to do that. I'm pretty impressed with myself. Let's do this one as well then. I, I saw in the New York Times an, a, an article that was just bemoaning all of the, the, the wins for Christians lately. So the, the case for Kennedy, the hot football coach that, can, that could pray, the, the case in Maine where Christian schools can be included in the scholarship system, the Roe versus Wade case, and this very miserable person writing about it said that it just seems like these Christians think the country's theirs because they're white and Christian, and that they they have to drag the country back from this coalition of minorities who don't believe what they think. It's these white Christians. So I just wanted to respond to that concept real quickly. Don't freak out at the first thing I'm about to say. Stick with me. I wanted to say back to her, because she's accusing me of thinking the country is mine, and it doesn't belong to her. At some level, here's what I wanted to say. Oh, yeah, it is mine. Yeah, it's mine. It's not mine because I'm white and Christian. That's idiotic. It's stupid. It's mine because I adhere to its traditions and values. I adhere to individual liberty. I adhere to a limited government. I adhere to separation of powers, federal versus state, Congress versus executive, judicial. I stand by the country and its values. You 
hate the country and its values. So no, it doesn't belong to you. It's it actually is mine. And every person of every every religion, every sex, every background, the country belongs to the people that adhere to its foundational principles. If you're trying to change its foundational principles, you're actually trying to start a new country. You you hate your country. You hate its traditions, you hate its values. If you and you want to do it through illegitimate means. It would actually be different. Oh, oh, that's a I should say that a little differently. Stick with me for a sec. Someone who fundamentally hates the traditions and values of the country and th- thinks there should not be separation of powers, that we really do need our states to be basically meaningless and the federal government, especially the president, needs a lot of dictatorial power. Uh, with that, we need religion to be restricted to the act of worship, not religion. So uh, we don't need freedom of religion, we need freedom of worship, meaning in a church on a Sunday morning, you can act like a Christian the rest of the time, you have to be an atheist. The, uh, the speech itself shouldn't be free, that there's government restriction on your speech. Go through the entire Bill of Rights on this if you want. Someone who says, I think the founders got it wrong, our constitution's terrible, I want a fundamentally different country, but then says... And so, I want to use Article 5. I want to go through the Article 5 process of amending the Constitution. I want to put together a coalition and win elections and and lawfully institute the changes that I want. I think that person is still, like the country is still kind of yours, like we're sharing it in that you at least want to use the, the traditions and the systems that we've been given to make the changes that you want. But if you're ready just to blow up, blow up everything and get the fundamental change you want in an illegitimate way, yeah, I'm saying it. No, the country's not yours. And it is mine. And those who think, those who think like me, because we are adhering to the original vision. You know, this is how a lot of churches are set up. I know it's how we're, we're set up. Let's say the elders of Beechwood Church go off the rails and say, hey, we're going to ordain this woman. She's going to be one of the pastors. We are no longer, the, the church doesn't belong to us anymore. We're no longer adhering to its documents. And so it would be incumbent upon the people of Beechwood Church to say, yeah, you guys are out. This church doesn't belong to you. It's ours. The same, with the, the same thing with the country here on this analogy. This church isn't yours. It's documents and principles and it's, it's governance belongs to those who will be faithful to that governance and its documents. And so you guys are out. The church belongs to us now. Same thing with the country. That's all I'm saying. All right, when we come back, I think I want to play for you some clips from a, 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 a kind of like a little documentary that uh, one of your fellow listeners and a good friend of mine sent in. I also have some some polling that I think has some interesting cross-sections. So we'll do that and more when you come back for the rest of the Court Act Show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. Three stories, 15 minutes. That's my goal here for the final segment of the Corey Act Show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. My strategy I decided on is to go with the one that I think will take the least time first. Let's get it out of the way. Here's something I read in The Atlantic. It's another left-wing publication, but I like to go around different spots of the news. The COVID backup in the criminal justice system is causing a great deal of injustice. They were trying to say at the Atlantic, 
And they were correct that one of the big reasons for our spike in crime is there just seems to be no consequence. People are saying out loud when they're being arrested. They, they give video of this. This is not going to affect me for a year. And a lot of big cities are going going with lower bonds and things because you it actually probably is unlawful to just hold somebody and not give them a speedy trial. And so people are doing things, stealing things, at least, vandalizing. Usually the violent offenders are actually being held and w- because they know there's no consequence. So the the speed of our justice system is causing part of our crime problem. And I don't know who, who can do anything about that, but that's what we got to work on. COVID caused so many problems. Like if we look back now, you'll get angry if you see all of the consequences of our reaction. And I can't stand it in media when they say, well, you know, COVID caused this. No, it didn't. Your reaction to COVID caused this. The, the fact that we didn't have a jury trial for a year in some places, that's a you thing. You did that. You decided you couldn't go, I don't know, build a platform in a tent somewhere and open the side flaps and stay your six feet apart or whatever and keep justice going. Now, you did that. This inflation we're having. From the moment someone said 15 weeks to sp- slow the spread, someone, some, as soon as they said that, we were going to have this inflation. We spent $6 trillion that we digitized. We just printed it. Well, we digitized it and put it in the economy. We were always going to have this inflation. COVID didn't cause it. Your reaction to COVID caused it. And this is another one, criminal justice system. Like, this one hit me recently. I was riding home from work, listening to NPR, and heard, oh, the, uh, the sentencing for this shooting was happening, and I couldn't figure out what shooting it was for a minute. And it was the sentencing for the... Stoneman Douglas killer. I think his last name was Cruz down in Florida. It was like 2018. He went, I knew he was 19. He went into a school and killed a bunch of people. We know he did it. He, I know this sounds harsh. He should already be dead. What, what, what are we, what are we doing taking five years? I mean, the, the Buffalo shooter, in my opinion, the, who obviously isn't crazy, can't, who had a, He's disturbed, but not crazy. He had a very specific reason why he went to that grocery store. He had a plan. He's very cognizant of what he was doing. He should already be dead. What are we doing? Taking so long with these things. I don't I don't understand why we delay on justice this way. And so anyway, that's it. The one of the issues in our crime problem is we are going slow and not and not getting the, the verdicts we need. All right, here we go. And excuse me, the punishments we need is what I meant to say. I was sent by Jake, thank you, Jake, about a 20-minute video from something called Refinery29. It's a left-wing feminist site. And they sent out a woman who calls herself a lesbian Christian to interview people who came out of the contemporary Christian music scene who who hold unbiblical views on sexuality including the previous lead singer of Jars of Clay, a guy named Dan Hazeltine, Hazeltine, I don't know. I have a lot I I could have shared with you from this, but I think his was the most informative, so I'm going to play it for you and respond as we go. This is Dan Hazeltine, and I can't remember the name of the woman who is interviewing him. Jars of Clay faced backlash after Dan sent out a handful of tweets questioning why people were so adamantly opposed to gay marriage. 
Lifeway and like all the outlets that sold Christian music had pulled our jars of clay stuff off the shelves. We had been disinvited from a bunch of the music festivals and things that we were supposed to do that year. Christian radio had pulled our music off. They weren't going to play it anymore. It was the backlash of the Christian community because I was asking questions about nope. how we treat the LGBT. There, there we go. Couldn't find the button. No, you weren't asking questions. You weren't. I can't, it's one of the, one of the refuges of the coward. I'm just asking questions. No, you're not. You're making arguments. You're making them in the form of a question, but yeah, you're, you are questioning millennia long understandings of human sexuality and just, oh, I'm just asking questions about this long settled part of, of biblical morality. No, you're not. You're, you're trying to call it out and say it's wrong. And so all of that reaction that Jars of Clay got and all these Christian artists when they are unfaithful to biblical truth, they all deserve it. This is not, this is not hard. This says nothing about how we treat the outsider, but if someone's identifying as a Christian and then just put in, put in a different sin, he starts tweeting about, guys, is it really, I mean, is it really the case that we should ever give any money away and be generous? Is it, I mean, does the Bible really have anything to say about not, not fornicating with a bunch of people before you get married? Put any put another sin in there. Yeah, th- we're talking about sin, and so no, you're you've you've removed yourself, and I'm not sorry. It's actually really good that we excommunicate and exclude people that call themselves Christians and push aberrant sexuality that it, that it might actually be moral. Community. The fact that I was asking the questions meant that we were unsafe. Now that was the moment where it was just like, okay, I guess we're not going to have this conversation with this community of people. Right. You know why? Because we had it. Like a lot. You think, you think you're the first one to argue for aberrant sexualities throughout church history? You think you're doing something novel and new and impressive? No, we, we settled it. The Bible's really clear about it. Now, again, I want to make this clear. Not how we treat the outsider, but those who are claiming Christianity and teaching false things. Yes, you are excommunicated. You're out. And yet, I look at it and I go, I think we were asking the right questions. I don't regret pushing that conversation forward. Mm -hmm. There weren't any other Christian artists that were having that conversation. There Uh, aren't. There still really aren't. There really aren't. And that's good. Those having the conversation aren't actually Christian artists. Now, because I want to save time for my final story, i got to cut this a little shorter. The, The point of the video was sob stories. The people who showed up and started to, quote, question, the biblical teaching on sexuality were excommunicated. They are, are, it, aren't they so poor mouth? Aren't, don't you feel so bad for them? And oh, look, Let me tell you about this other incredibly, uh, there was another one in the video that was a fairly popular Christian artist, but ended up taking a job as a worship leader at a very large church in Nashville and quietly was uh, telling people, I mean, that he was, he's gay. Apparently, he says he wasn't in any, any kind of relationships, but that's the story he tells. And he gets fired. Well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's how that works. Um, all right, let me, actually, I think that one's, that's a good enough part of this video that I, I want to do that one. Let me take you back to this guy who was a worship leader at a church in Nashville. It was there, but I wasn't pursuing it, any relationship or, or anything yeah. like that. And so I knew that I needed to at least tell the pastor there was a part of me that hoped, maybe naively, that because of the relationship that I'd had with the church for years, that they would say, okay, well, let's figure 
it out. You know, we love you. We appreciate your heart. I anything like that. Mm -hmm. And it was not the response. So you were fired. I was basically let go. Yeah. I was given the option almost to stay and stay quiet, but not the option to stay and be authentic and honest. That's the God of, the, of our time, right? Authentic and honest. I, I need everyone to know who I'm sexually attracted to. And unless everyone knows who I'm sexually attracted to, I'm not a real person and I haven't been fully realized. Again, I, am, I know I'm being mean and harsh. I'm saying that's because these are folks inside the faith who are not asking questions or being humble or struggling. They are making false claims. And we're going to deal with that harshly. Now, those outside the faith with genuine questions, can I encourage you? Let's be the opposite of how I was just now. We're patient. We're answer, we're, we'll answer questions about biblical sexuality. Offer a lot of grace in terms of uh, offer a lot of grace in our demeanor. But inside the church, I think I think what this video wanted wanted from Christians was, don't you guys feel bad about this? No, no, I do not. We're going to fight for the purity of the church, and I'm not sorry when we fight for it. And fighting outside the church might look different. It might look more winsome, might might look more kind. But inside the church, we're we're not playing around here. All right, three stories in 15 minutes. We're down to like five minutes, and here's what I wanted to give you. You might have seen a lot of the commentariat is talking about the great rearrangement in American politics that I find, as a, as a demographer, as a watcher of patterns, I actually find it super interesting how the left the, and the party that largely represents it, Democrats, have become the party of white, coastal, high college degree, their agenda is driving everything. As a consequence, the number of people who are Hispanic or black and also middle-lower class that are identifying more on the right is, is exploding. It's an interesting de demographic because historically that, those are two different things. The, um, the Democrats were thought of and the left was thought of as the party of the little man. They wanted to do more social programs and do more welfare. You know, the party of the little guy and the Republicans were for big business and all that. And now what's being seen is very different. The powerful structures are all on the left, and the, there's a popular uprising on the right. And I want to give you just a few of the questions asked in this huge poll that I think are instructive on that. Um, the big, basically, this is the big separation between white, woke liberals and the rest of us. Here is the, the, the statement. Do you, which of the two statements do you most agree with? America is not the greatest country in the world, or America is the greatest country in the world. People, strong progressives, so white woke liberals, 28% say it is the greatest, 66% say it's not. But Hispanics and the working class, it's 70% say it is the greatest, 63% say it's not. It's the exact opposite. By the way, I, I, I would argue to anybody, if, if you don't think that, then where is it? Even if you think America's terrible, you might think this place is just horrific. Who's better? In terms of our ease of life and safety, security, opportunity? Yeah, this is the best place in the world. All right, next. Uh, the, one of these two phrases. Racism is built into our society, including its policies and institutions, or racism comes from individuals who hold racist views, not society and institutions. So I, I'd be on the second one, right? White woke liberals at 94% say 
It's our policies and institutions, meaning the country is made of racism. It's, we're teeming with it. And the rest of us, Hispanics, working class, is 58% say it's, it's a problem of the individual. 36% say it's in the institutions. Could, do you get that pattern? Like, this is a big difference. I actually have a lot to say about that question. Uh, let me pick another one here. Uh, oh, I love this one. Which of these two do you agree with? Hard work and determination are no guarantee of success versus most people who want to get ahead, they can make it if they're willing to work hard. White woke liberals, strong progressives, they say 12% of, 12% of them say if you work hard, you can get ahead. 88% say you can't get ahead even if you work hard. On the other hand, Hispanics, working class voters, it's 55% say you can get ahead, 40% say you can't. That's even That's too low. And so what we're finding, as I have to start wrapping this up, is there is a coastal elitism that folks who are typically more religious anyway, if you don't know this, Hispanics and blacks are on the margin more religious, go to more church services, have religion in their, especially in rural places, as a bigger, much bigger part of their lives. They're not on board for this woke left this wokeism that says your entire country is racist you have no chance of getting ahead the place you live that has especially if you immigrated here the place you live that has provided you with opportunity that you could never imagine anywhere else it's rotten to its core we also think we want to get into in front of your kids and tell them they might be transgender and teach them about graphic sexual things long before you're ready to do it and if you're not ready for them to hear about it it's because you're some kind of bigot it is driving people from the left and while i don't feel great about the other party i don't feel good about it at all can't really stand this hoax it's good that the country is revolting in large parts against really godless ideologies that is at least a good realignment if you have comments, you can get me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram with the Corey Truax. I will be back with another new edition of the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.